Hello podcast listeners, this is Travis with a friendly content warning before the episode. Today we'll be discussing the short story collection You Can't Keep a Good Woman Down by Alice Walker. This is a short story collection that does depict and feature violence against women and sexual violence, in addition to some discussions about abortion and depictions of that, though kind of indirect, but still it's in there, and also featuring, I would say, the most erotic, even pornographic content we've covered on the episodes or on these book clubs so far. If any of that content might be off-putting to you, then as always, we'd recommend skipping this episode or at least doing a cursory search online about the book, maybe reading a bit more about it before listening in. For our content warnings, as a reminder, we don't do timestamps or anything because the discussion is far-ranging and we jump in and out of different stories, so we really can't provide that, just a blanket warning for the entire episode on those themes and topics I mentioned before. As always, we do hope you give it a chance and read along with us and listen to the episode. Without further ado, let's get to the episode. Hello, and welcome back to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the only book club podcast that always records in the lotus position. Amanda, have you assumed the lotus position? Mm -hmm. I have. I have achieved my state of zen. Nice. Are you pushed up against a wall, you got your cushions underneath you, and fully ready to immerse yourself in the project of a book club discussion? Yeah, incense burning and everything. Fantastic. (laughs) That smell will not come out, but I'll let you worry about that later. If you have no idea why we're talking about the lotus position and incense smell, that is because you have found us in a book club episode specifically. This is a part two book club episode where we'll be discussing the short story collection by Alice Walker called You Can't Keep a Good Woman Down. We'll be discussing the second half of that book today. We are, as I mentioned, the Lightly Literary Podcast. We have social media uh, feeds and platforms where you can follow us. Please do so. We've got a Facebook and an Instagram account where we post now sporadically, but hopefully soon regularly, about what we've been reading and keeping you updated on what's going on. And yeah, follow us there on either of those platforms to to know what we're doing, what we're reading. We do put the book selections up there. So if you want to just know the schedule, that's the best place for it. As always, we ask that you, you know, like and recommend us on your platform of choice, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, etc., As I mentioned, today is a part two book club episode, so our goal today is to discuss the entirety of this book, again called You Can't Keep a Good Woman Down by Alice Walker. The part one episode is already up in the feed, as is the book review episode, so if you're in the wrong place and you don't want to listen to us talk and spoil the whole second half of this book and then the whole thing, then please go find one of those episodes and, you know, (laughs) tune in later. This will stay up in the feed for as long as the show continues, so I think the intros now, Amanda, are out of the way we can get to formalities do you want to briefly maybe touch upon um because you were the person who picked this book and i know we did this in the first episode but maybe a quick reminder of why you picked it and and what we're discussing sure um i chose alice walker's you can't keep a good woman down um and i believe the the reason um the the prompt that you gave was a book you haven't Mm -hmm. read um by an author who you already love so I've read Alice Walker's The Color Purple, and um, I wanted to read something else by Alice Walker because I I just absolutely loved The Color Purple, Um, and I was not disappointed. Mm -hmm. And I chose this this particular collection um, because it had good reviews, and um, and I know that she is Walker is um, in particular um, 
well, she calls herself a womanist. And so like some of her philosophies, I wanted to kind of delve into a little bit more as well. Okay. Yeah. And there's plenty of that in this collection. So let's dive back in. Again, we're going to focus most of our discussion today on the second half of this collection. So for those of you who have a copy, ideally everybody, but we're going to basically discuss from the short story called Advancing Luna and Ida B. Wells from the one called Source. Though at this point, the whole you know collection is fair game. We will discuss whatever kind of comes to mind. We'll begin today with our first segment called Highs and Lows, which again, it's right there in the title, but I'll explain it. We're just going to pick a couple of high and low moments from the back half of the collection to discuss things that stood out to us that either worked or did not work. Amanda, it sounds like it mostly worked for you, so why don't you start us off? <laughs> it did really work for me. Um, so mm-hmm. one of the highs is the allusions to the various writers, philosophers, and artists that um, I was am and was largely unfamiliar with, um, but I'm now interested in researching. Uh, one example that really stood out to me is um, on page 163, Walker mentions William Styron's The Confessions of Nat Turner, and she discusses it very negatively. Um, she says, one of our professors had the nerve to teach it to our class, and when you couldn't make him see what an insult Styron's monster was to the memory of the real Nat Turner, you were so mad you wouldn't speak to anyone on campus for days. So I had not I, I've heard of Nat Turner and I think we encountered Nat Turner as well when we read um, the good Lord bird um, huh but possibly I, I don't remember now very un- yeah <laughs> it was a long time ago uh, <laughs> yeah, I am yeah. uh, very unfamiliar with William Styron I don't I don't I've never encountered anything by him so I was like and and to have such a, a reaction to this i was like oh that's interesting so i did some research and and stuff like that but she she alludes to also like richard wright and richard wright's um personal life which i i've read richard wright but i am again largely unfamiliar with his actual life um so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah just stuff like that i I found really interesting and and i thought um that it was something that made me want to do my own research as well which i enjoy doing so yeah, that's it is loaded up in certain stories and certain stories lean on this a little more heavily than others. The, I mean, the only segue I have to go to is my low. I only have one and it's pretty much identical to what you just said, though I did not enjoy that. So I thought I thought a letter of the times and moments in source, especially in the back half, they were just way too didactic for me. It's just not what I'm looking mm. for in fiction. I don't need really long, prolonged summary conversations of scholarship that just doesn't feel like good character work. That feels like scholarship to me. Now, allusions, references, yeah. you know, use, using things like that in the fiction, I, you know, obviously that's a big part of literature, so I have no issue with that. But I think too often it felt like she wanted to write an article and then just didn't write one. And I think Source was the most interesting moment for this because the first half of it is such a clear narrative. It has momentum. It has conflict. It has really strange characters living in a certain time in America. It has social dynamics and all this stuff going on. And then it decides to wrap up with like a prolonged conversation at the end, which nothing wrong with ending a story that way, of course. But that really took me out of it at the end. I just didn't think that was the best or most dynamic writing. It was there was moments in there to enjoy some little friendly character quips and stuff and the women are catching up over the years and everything if not it did feel a little convenient i guess but it just 
it was too digressive for me to feel like it looked, felt like it took a momentum away from an otherwise kind of eerie, almost like creepy narrative with that, with that, mm-hmm. um, I think she called him a Swami, which isn't a term I really have heard in a lot. I hadn't really heard that in a long time, but yeah. anyway, so <laughs> it shows yeah. how dated so, this anyway. book is. <laughs> For sure. I think it was published in 1980. And so you can tell this is a book that just came out of the 70s and 60s. Like you really feel that because the social kind of like theories that she's playing with, the ideas she wants to grapple with and everything, it's very much she's coming out of that time. So very understandable. But it just didn't, it felt too long winded for me to really connect. And I I appreciate leaving a book with like a reading list, you know, as you kind of mentioned, you know, things for further consideration. But I would just prefer to get that from it just in another format source, in another way. Uh, it just I don't need it in the middle of a story. I get that. I don't mind that yeah. um, personally. I I just because knowing Alice Walker too, um, and and how vocal she has been in her writing about her her philosophies and her ideas, I I kind of expected it um, when reading this. I just don't. I don't know. This is, oh, I was going to do a really bad thing. Let me pivot and not do a bad thing. They'll all go back and own the bad Uh thing I was about to do. Have you feel like, have you felt we encountered, or do you feel like we have encountered anything comparable to this in terms of the illusions in the academia? There were short stories in the front half of literally just paragraphs ripped out. Have we really seen anything quite like that? Hmm. No. We've read nonfiction. Um, We have. (laughs) So it's like, We've read nonfiction. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess Sansei and Sensibility was fairly academic. Um, did not take a lot of, um, like, mm-hmm. just sourcing out some of her paragraphs or anything like that. Um, but I I found Sansei and Sensibility was more academic rather than literary. This one is more literary with a yes. tinge of yeah. academia. Yeah, I think so. The bad thing I was going to do was immediately compare her writing to Toni Morrison's. The, the reason that would be, I just don't want to seem uh, reductive, like I have to compare the two black women against one another or something strange like that. It just came to mind because obviously a lot of the same themes, uh, issues, just like American history topics re- are resonant in both of the works. I think it's it's not an invalid comparison. I just, my brain first went there and I was like, ah, hold on, let's, <laughs> you shouldn't just immediately compare their work. But anyway, I mean, like, Morrison is a comparison point. I think thematically it's, they fit very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And well, I just think comparing these two, uh, Morrison, there's zero of that in the bluest eye. There's allusions, you know, there's some gargoyle things going on, some Shakespeare stuff we picked up on, some biblical images, etc. But I just, I don't mm. want my fiction to feel like it was researched per se in the same way an article is. And, and I think most fiction is researched. I mean, authors have to gather their ideas and, and synthesize things. But I just don't want to like – I don't want to see the seams, <laughs> if that makes sense. I don't want to like know the three articles you're reading when you compose yeah. the short story. And to have them so obviously bleed into it is just – I don't know. I just I just still appreciate a really well-crafted essay and I like reading – like essay style nonfiction. So I, or, so I don't, it, I can get that somewhere else. I guess my brain still has this like maybe, maybe false sense of division then. And maybe that's on me to work against that. But yeah, that was my only low moment. So that was the perfect segue into it. Did you have another high moment you want to discuss? Sure. Um, I also enjoyed the discussions of the facets of racism. Um, so with a letter of the times, there was um, the Scarlett O'Hara discussion 
um, and the the S and M scene, which was an interesting discussion that I hadn't thought about. And then there was Source. I actually mm-hmm, did mm-hmm. enjoy Source, um, but I liked Anastasia as um, she's biracial. Um, but then the um, the idea of like how her identity kind of um, excludes her from being either white or black, like both sides don't fully accept her. Um, and, and how she actually like at the end embraces being, um, something that she's completely not, which is, um, Mm -hmm. native. (laughs) Right. So I thought that was an interesting discussion, discussion. Um, and then, um, with advancing Luna, the, the question of as a white woman, um, as she is being raped by a black man in, in the South during that particular time, um, did she, the question that was like the narrator and Luna were struggling with was, does she have the right to scream during her rape? I found that very fascinating too. So, yeah, I think she finds in every short story, and this is, you know, what hooks you into a short story. It's why the medium is so fun to engage with. She finds an intriguing enough premise quickly, which I think is crucial. You have to set a pretty limited scope you got to be laser focused on some kind of moment. I actually, as another quick addendum of lows, I don't know why I'm starting with all my lows, I guess. I, and I'm just freestyling this one. I do think some of hers went a touch nice. out of scope for me. That was my biggest issue with the source one, for example. I just think if we could have had mm-hmm. their moment with him or more of the San Francisco atmosphere and it would have just centered on that, on her moment in that city in that time period, I just felt like it would have had a more coherent idea. It just felt too strange to jump like that. It just didn't, I don't like like short stories that go really big in scope like that. But granted, it I thought it had some effective and interesting moments doing that. But anyway, I just think there, there's always a premise here that really worked if the scope for me didn't work per se. I will, I'll tack on one of my mm-hmm. highs then that kind of relates to yours. I just think that she depicts kind of racial disillusionment really well or disconnection, if you want to call it that. She has a good eye for kind of socioeconomic entanglements and yeah maybe it's a little too didactic about that kind of stuff but you know those are the, that's the way you, some people choose to grapple with it and she's clearly grappling it grappling with these things in a very academic you know studied studied manner and that's perfectly fine and so yeah i i enjoyed the way she reflected on these things on 137 let's see i pulled the quote here and actually on 106.2 with Laurel, the kind of tragedy romance story, um, I thought some of the reflections yeah. with Laurel when they're when they're having an interracial relationship in, in the South at the time when it was illegal. And so some of the descriptions about them when they talk about, you know, just falling in love. And it's, she says, um, I, that's it, I thought I can safely play here. No one brings such dirty nails home to dinner. That was Monday. By Tuesday, I thought his dirty nails were just the right non-bourgeois attribute and lacked a personal concern for appearances that included the smudged bifocals and the frazzled but beautifully fitting jeans, in a black pocket of which was invariably a half-rolled, impressively battered paperback book. It occurred to me that I could not look at Laurel without wanting to make love to him. He was the same. And then she goes on later to talk about, like, throughout the rest of the week, we racked our brains trying to think of a place to make love, but the hotels were still segregated, and once after a movement party at somebody's house, we were severely reprimanded for walking out into the southern night, blissfully hand-in-hand. 
And then later they do this funny little acrobatic scene. I should have pulled the quote for this, but they're trying to, they're like making out on a park bench and trying to, I don't know, I guess like fondle each other, you know, just trying to have some kind of like connection. Cause they, since they can't have sex, they're just trying to like approximate some kind of, isn't that, what is that dry humping? Do we call that? I'm not sure if that's even, Oh yeah, that's nice, the right yeah. term. Yeah. Anyway, going d- digging back into the middle school well for that one or high school well. Anyway, so I thought that it, that was a more maybe humorous example though that story takes a pretty dark turn. But there are other moments too. It's it, every story. This is the you know the overarching kind of topic or umbrella of the work here. And I think every time it's pretty well observed. Again, maybe a little pedantic at times or something, but overall. The characters go through things that are pretty authentically challenging. There's always some kind of conflict or or something to unpack, like you said, with the with regards to the I forget the name of the story, but yeah, the one with the girl who's raped. There's a lot of kind of complication to that. Oh, 137 was when Uh the um, the woman arrives back at campus after the funeral and they have that kind of like breezy oh we're sorry for your loss you know thoughts and prayers theme themed conversation that's the pejorative yeah. we would give it these days anyway and i thought that moment hit me really hard just because i thought it was again that's when i'm reading a short story or even fiction i want something more subtle like that where it's in the social cues it's in the conversation it's a little more like these things are implied and anyway i just enjoyed that ending a lot and i thought it was it was biting in just the right way it kind of showed the the shallowness of it of it all but how about another high for you? If you have one or a low, I guess I have another high if you don't have one. I've got one more and and, um, and a low as well. So the, the final high that I included is uh, the depictions of the relationships between the characters, whether it's sexual, it's a friendly or a mentor, maternal, whatever. All of the relationships that she depicts, I think, are just really rich and um, well drawn out. And um, it's really just interesting especially since she focuses on how the the characters as they interact their relationships um are like fracturing over the course of the stories and um Mm -hmm. my favorites um would be from porn advancing luna the abortion and source those are my my favorite character interactions gotcha gotcha yeah i think and a couple of those were from the first one right i remember really enjoying the the porn story yeah, <laughs> that was a great one. <laughs> yeah, an interesting sentence to say, to be fair, but <laughs> that is just what that's what the title's given me to work with here. <laughs> I did have another high, then I'll, I'll throw it out there. This one's just on the back half, too. This is a comment mostly about the back half of this. I, I found some of the tragedies or the sort of, like, um, I guess, denouements or conclusions to some of these in the back to be more disturbing or at least... So specifically, I was thinking of, I reacted very strongly to Laurel's character and to the source, the character called the source. I don't know why those hit me as so poignant. I think it's because they both had a an edge of kind of predatory creepiness or eeriness that the rest of these didn't have. I mean, it, it's all very mm-hmm. grounded here. And so I don't know if I felt that these were just elevated or even like kind of dramatic or operatic in some kind of way that the other ones didn't achieve. And it's, I I don't necessarily even love fiction that is more heightened or dramatic or something normally, but something about the, those two characters just felt not because for the source, he's barely on the page, right? It's not like he's super well realized. I just thought his presence was something new and interesting. And like, it had an extra creepy intimacy to it because you know we we know from the first half she writes intimacy so well and like romantic love Mm -hmm. so well so to see these other like one becomes kind of an obsessive stalker the other one is like a a cult leader really and like a 
probably a rapist. Uh, hard to say. There's some implications in that story, but definitely hard to hard to say. Right. But it, just to see some different sort of more. I don't know. There were predators in the first half too. Maybe you can help me unpack why I reacted so strongly to these two fellows more than like the men in the first half. I, and it's not like they're particularly admirable guys or something. I'm not looking for that. I just thought they were drawn in a way that felt a little different than some of the front. Yeah, half I think ones. Um, Laurel in particular, I think that he's a more complex character than some of the male characters that were included um, in the other stories. Uh, Although the the Elvis character mm-hmm. to me really stands out in that way too, because yeah, there's only the only thing that they that she focuses on is just his inability to really like understand the meaning of like the philosophy and the, the ideas behind like being a performer, a successful like artist rather than just a performer. Um, but right. I think with Laurel, he's he's more complex as a character because we see the change in him. So there's actually like, and, and it's a negative change, obviously, but it's, it's, we see him as like somebody who is desired, desirable, loving. Um, and then he becomes um, at the end there, like creepy. And then in the end, um, her husband tells her like, yeah, he was really vicious there at the end and blamed you for everything. <laughs> um, so I think that, he stands right, out right. because we Flashing actually out. see a progression with him um, versus with the other male characters. They're just kind of like they they don't they don't change. They're just there and often. And this is my low actually is that invariably the male characters they just fail the female protagonist in some way in almost every single story. Um, the only one that I can think of that does not fail. Mm-hmm women is in um, a sudden trip home in the spring is the grandfather is the only male character yeah who, like yeah. it is is a positive figure and all the other ones like laurel he starts off as positive mm-hmm. but then just <laughs> is in the end is not <laughs> Yeah, there's not really a good example from this collection of, and there's so much love making and and people being in love, having sex, being in love, but there's not really a great example of a fully healthy. I mean, granted, it's it's literary fiction. What do right. we want? I mean, we, we don't want a healthy exactly. depiction of a healthy relationship. That wouldn't make for a storytelling. You know what I mean? So it's, I don't know what we're <laughs> complaining about, but or what I'm complaining about. Not that you are, but so yeah, but it's. I guess in the first half, some of them were just more muted or they felt like backboards that she could throw the basketball off of. If that makes, It's just like they were there to help out, but they weren't like part right. of the action or something. That was the analogy I was going for. And in the back half, I guess they just felt more intense in that way, though. You're right. The Elvis story I had praised in the first half. I think that the way those two foiled each other was, I thought, like so well done. And, you know, there are in the first one, there, there's in the porn story, like their dynamic is really fascinating and kind of their the way she describes their the sexual relationship i think is some of the best writing in the mm-hmm. in the whole book so it, it you know there are things there but for, yeah for some reason that i still haven't articulated perfectly but oh well tried my best <laughs> but yeah for some reason laurel and both the source characters hit me as just sort of they brought a different dynamism to the to the stories made the conflict feel i mean i guess also at the, at the times i was reading those it, they didn't it wasn't as academic heavy or there weren't those longer couple page digressions with you know like d- talking out theories and stuff and i think it just felt more propulsive in, in terms of its fiction or realized in terms of its mm-hmm. fiction so 
Any other highs for you? Uh, no, that was it for me. Okay. Yeah, I would say mostly highs. I, I had to come in here with the contrarian point of view, apparently, but I thought mostly it was highs for me in the back half, too. I think I enjoyed it pretty much. I've been on an equal sort of wavelength of enjoyment throughout the whole thing. I'm not sure for how sure you For sure, I enjoyed almost every story. Yeah, I think some more than others, but it's like with any short story collection, I came out of it, some of them I, I shrugged at, some of them I enjoyed quite a lot and reread some passages, and I think you're just looking for, it's you know, it's like a dartboard analogy. You're just looking for a few bullseyes, and you just want to be hitting the yeah. board in general. You don't need <laughs> you don't need page-to-page perfection or something. That's not what I, and if you go into a short story collection expecting that, I think you're, I want authors to take more risks, you know, that's kind of the, the joy of that medium right. anyway, is sort of, let's see what they can do when they have you know they can do something shorter take a chance anyway so yeah i I got that enjoyment out of this for sure let's move now to the other sort of analytical part of this episode which will be the imaginary essays this is where amanda and i craft an essay prompt based on the book for one another we trade prompts and then prepare for them no we have not actually written any essays that would be (laughs) madness instead we just do an outline jot down some ideas it's a good way to kind of critique the work analyze the text and think about it one more time and at this point the whole book is fair game amanda i'll throw my essay prompt at you first since i think i think i just got done chatting for a while so let's let's put it on your shoulders i am ready this is your burden are you ready Cool. We'll put you on. No, there's no clock. I was going to say, we'll put you on the clock. There's no clock. It's infinite clock. Nice. <laughs> we'll see. As the Jane Austen episode proved so well, the Sansei. Yeah, there, we, we can't put a cap on that, folks. When you when you have genius, you don't like bottle it up. You know, you just let it go. Anyway, so my essay prompt for you is going to be a pretty simple one today. We don't usually bring up current events. There's no podcast segment we have built in, and there's no part of the episodes we've constructed around current events. We definitely don't ignore them, and we did a whole, last year we did a whole series of books because of Black Lives Matter to kind of support that, raise awareness, etc. It's, you know, it's not like we're in a cave here, but our, our goal is always to do the text first. Like, it's whatever the text is dealing with, we're going to deal with that, and if current events come up, I guess so be it, but it's not a priority. Anyway. I say all that long preamble to say this collection feels like maybe the best time, and I think because it doesn't work that well all the time, that's part of what excited me about this question, to connect it to current events. Because I think there's things in this that are really relevant, and then there's some stuff that I really uh, was cold to, and was just kind of like, oh, that doesn't... I don't think that idea jives with where my head is or with what my understanding of things anyway. So I think it's really rich for this question. It's a simple question with a rambling start. Which stories here best connect and relate to our current moments? So political, cultural, however you want to take that question. And then which ones feel like they, they are disconnected or don't work anymore? And I see that in your construction, you kind of went with like related, unrelated. Is that your how you frame right, it? Right, yeah. Or relatable, yeah. unrelatable? So like relatable as in like actually tied to current um, events, like things that are happening movements that are occurring nowadays um and then the the not so relatable which is just stuff that i thought was maybe more uh, personal for her and perhaps something that that is not easily Mm -hmm. relatable to a movement for today um so that's how i divided up my answer sure yeah so for the relatable i i kind of did it like chronological like in the order that i encountered this story so the first one was 1955 is relatable surprising um 
because of the idea of the artist borrowing from Mm -hmm. another artist, this is an Elvis character, um, and not really appreciating the core of the art or even understanding the premise of the art. And that was making me think specifically of Iggy Azalea and the whole drama that, like, I I think this is like a couple years ago, but she's, again, um, under fire because of Mm -hmm. um, her latest music video. Um, but the idea that, um, like music appropriation, um, is still something I think that is, is current today. Um, so there's that one. (laughs) And, uh, the next one is how did I get away with killing the, you know, that really long title, um, and advancing Luna, both of those two, I think, um, relate to, the Me Too movement in that their stories about taking advantage of women who are young or not in positions of power um, and just the general conversation about the sexualization of African-American and, and black women in particular, especially with the the first one, the How Did I Get Away With Killing? Um, so both of those stories, I think, could be tied to the Me Too movement in a lot of ways. Um Alethea and A Letter of the Times, both of those, I think, um, could be tied to the idea of the perception of African-Americans in the, in the black community as they are depicted to others, specifically in the media. That's a big conversation, I think, that's happening today, and a lot of mm-hmm. uh, media outlets are trying to address that. Um, like, Disney is, like, putting up warnings of some of the old movies and stuff like that, and um, Turner Classic movies are doing the same thing. Um, right. But with Alethea, that one was the story of the Uncle Albert and the the stuffed Uncle Albert and like how that was his image was being used. But like it was a obviously like a false image, right, with the teeth and everything like the smiles. And um, the same with um, A Letter of the Times, the references to like Scarlett O'Hara and and stuff like that. Um, The next one is Petunia's. Um, which was the super short story, the uh, the like three paragraph story. Yeah, the one. Yeah, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I, that one was obviously about PTSD and the effects of of um, trauma on people. And and in that case, it was specifically Vietnam, but uh, specifically military. So I was thinking, like, obviously that's still a conversation that's being had, and we just ended, we just pulled our troops from Afghanistan. There's going to be, I mean that's probably going to be another conversation that we have for some of those soldiers coming home too. Um, Yeah. Then there's um, coming apart and porn, which both of those were about sex and the perception of um, how, how women are, are portrayed in porn. And so I think that could also, those two stories could um, tie very nicely to the me too movement and also to just feminism or as um, Alice Walker calls herself womanism um, in general. So that and just being a feminist in general or a womanist in general, I think that could tie to that. Um, The abortion, obviously (laughs) there's still debate about abortions and about there's the pro-life versus the pro-choice that's still going Mm -hmm. on. That's a really hot topic still in politics. Um, And then Finally, source, I think, is relatable in that, um, so- and I know that this one didn't resound as much with you, but um, it's the perceptions of groups of people um, 
so right now uh, I'm thinking of like the 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 hate crimes against Asians, the random physical attacking of Asians, um, and and how it's related to the the model minority that's going on and stuff like these perceptions about that, and then also the Black Lives Matter movement, um, just the the egging on of hate and the the deliberate like misunderstanding of a group of people based on stereotypes and perceptions, incorrect perceptions. Um, I think that ties in really well with, with that overall. To the, so unpack that one. Uh, Do you mean to the back half when they're talking about their time at college, when they're in Alaska and they kind of like run down how they were, how their skin color kind of tore not tore them apart that's probably too harsh but divided them is that the because i found the first part to be such an oddity an enjoyable mm-hmm. one for sure but his and i guess she does raise some issues with the source or source about how if he you know if he's stripping away your personhood like doesn't ra- i think she says something like doesn't race matter or what about right. race or something and you know her she, aggressively they all tell her like that doesn't matter you're you're hung up on this you got to get over this you got to move on all that kind of a th- or did is that the part you mean or do you mean the back half when they kind of settle some I th- old I college think both beef? right um because uh, yeah. it's the the entire the way that i read that entire story is that it's it even though anastasia is not we're not uh reading from anastasia's point of view i think of anastasia as the actual like main focus of that story in that it's about her search for identity as seen through the eyes of uh, the protagonist and the protagonist's judgment of that as she's going through her um, her figuring out herself. Um, so you get the, the right, perceptions right. Um, from somebody else as they are trying to figure out their identity and she's trying to put on her the the protagonist is trying to put on like from her lens as a a black female this is what or an african-american female this is what uh she should be doing but she's she still treats her as as um anastasia points out she's like you never treated me as though i am actually african-american um you treated me as still other and she's like and and anastasia also says that you know as a child she didn't fit in with either group and so that is how I, I read that whole thing is just the search for identity and the the kind of quagmire that is um, race, um, especially for somebody who is of mixed race. Um, so I, I, that's how I tied that to the idea of like the Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter and and to um, what's happening with the the um, Asian Americans here. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um. So that was all for the, the relatable ones. And then that means that obviously the rest are not relatable. So um, just very quickly Mm -hmm. fame, um, which there's a little bit about sexual harassment and boundary. That's the, the one where the, the lady is like an older lady and um, she's being lauded. She's going to like a congratulatory ceremony for herself, maybe your retirement party. I don't remember which one. Um, and she's talking like, it could be kind of like about sexual, um, harassment at work and, and these like gender specific, like 
actions that are culturally quote unquote appropriate where the guy is like, oh, well, women have to be kissed when they are congratulated. Right. And that's a colleague of hers. And she's like, she told him specifically she didn't like it, but he's like, yeah, I have to kiss you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main theme is perhaps like, um, like the story, the lover, they're just both of those are just so personal i feel like to alice walker and it and it's just not specific enough i think to relate to a particular movement today would be what i would say i don't know um laurel um as Mm -hmm. enjoyable as that story was i think again that one is super personal to alice walker i mean there's like (laughs) the the main characters like the main character and her husband and then the fact that they had a daughter and they were living in the south and her husband uh, like it's it's if you've read Alice Walker's like a quick glance at her biography like that's obviously taken from her life um i don't know whether she actually like met a guy named Laurel or whatever but like hmm. certain aspects of that story are her and i think that that was just really personal to her and the 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 laurel character i can't quite figure out how i could put him into something for today um in a sudden trip home in the spring as well could possibly be loosely based on the perceptions idea that i mentioned in the source so the idea of like searching for identity and the idea of like um like the question of like um how people perceive a person based on their race um and the stereotypes uh, surrounding that but uh, again, to me, I think that this story is a bit more personal and it's more like Laurel in that the character's personal journey to understanding her interpersonal relationships is the most important thing rather than trying to make it relevant to today. Mm-hmm. But that one did have a billionaire with access to private clients. So we've got that yeah. going for us. <laughs> yep. Connections still abound, you know, even if they're more on the fringe Mm -hmm. or something. Excellent. Okay. Any others that um, that stood out, or anything you think you'll anything you connected to strongly that you hadn't mentioned, or any relevance to today? I don't think so. I I tried to be as concise but in depth as possible. (laughs) Okay. No, I think you hit a lot of the big ones for sure. I I found almost every discussion of sex in this book to be so outdated and then also emotionally true. So that would be my short answer. (laughs) Like some of the, it just is so, I don't know. I feel like discussions around sex have have changed uh, quite significantly, I would say in 40 years. (laughs) But um, yeah, in general though, like the... But we talked about that in episode one about the porn story, too, so I don't need to rehash the same talking points. But, yeah, yeah. no, definitely. I think I think the, the philosophies about, like, how women are portrayed in porn, uh, that's still a relevant discussion to today. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's not some industry or some moral conundrum we've cracked the code on. Uh, far from it. <laughs> so it's, yeah, I just think the conversations have shifted so much that this feels strange or something but you know the internet happened so what can you do (laughs) yep and how about for your essay question i'll take it away when you're ready Uh, one of the motifs that we briefly mentioned before is communication often missing communication um so i was just wondering what role does communication play in this collection especially since many of these characters are artists writers and teachers 
Yeah, I this was a tough one for me to wrangle. I don't think I have a coherent response, but I have some you know ideas I can throw out there. I don't think I have quite a thesis here. If this were a real essay or a paper, I'd have some work to do for sure. Have to do some introspection. But I do have the stories or kind of the moments that stood out the most, so I'll just kind of ground myself in those and move from there. I really think I could just do the whole prompt on the, the porn story, which I do think when I leave this collection that'll be the one that sticks with me the longest. Maybe a few other moments and other ones, maybe 1955. But I just think the, the the kind of physical relationship in that story is communication. And the way it opens and the way some of the descriptions work early on, which, you know, since my mom's a listener, I won't read the, like, rapturous sexual <laughs> descriptions or something like that. But, yeah, I'm just kidding. I, that, doesn't, that doesn't bug me to have that conversation with her. It's fine. <laughs> but, like, it's the way that they talk about it. It's, you know, in the morning they're making love. It's relaxed, clear-headed, fresh. No music but the birds and ca- birds and cars, no dope. And then, you know, they came within seconds of each other. This inspired him. He thought that they could come together. She was sated and different, didn't wish to think about the strain. And then, you know, they're just talking about that. And then that's when he introduces her porn. Everything changes. I just think that by the end of that story, then, the way that their bodies no longer communicate, it, it describes him at the end. Sort of like he makes expert love to her. He knows his technique is virtually flawless, but he thinks perhaps it can be improved. Is she moving less rhythmically under him? Does she seem distracted? And so... There's, it goes on for a couple paragraphs, but it's essentially like he's on autopilot, you know, apparently expert autopilot, but autopilot nonetheless, and she doesn't respond to him the same way. They don't have a connection anymore. They don't have the same touch. And I just think in that sense, the communication is a very delicate thing to her, and it's clear throughout the collection that that's true. I think what became frustrating as I was trying to tackle this question is I don't know where I would say the question comes down in terms of like, well... Do you be really radically open and honest with your communication? Do you keep things to yourself and have your private life be that's like a source of communication because you don't communicate your whole self? Like he opened up his whole self to her and now their relationship is, you know, it's a short story, who knows, but seemingly ruined right by the end that they can't recapture whatever they had. Right. And so I think... Uh, there's a there's a moment in that story too where the character says something about how in a relationship forgetfulness is a, is a huge virtue is a huge trait that you have to learn to forget things and um, I think that there's kind of a simple wisdom in that for sure and so I just think sometimes her characters aren't capable of that they're not they don't want to forget and so maybe in a sense her argument or her her project could be even if it hurts even if it changes everything you know don't be a person who just decides to forget and move on don't be a don't be a casual you know throwaway type of person who will just forget stuff and so i that would be my rough start to this thesis and i do think the the porn story explores those ideas pretty mm-hmm. well um the other topic we could talk about the other story i'd throw in here would be on page 37 and 38 which is the ending of which story let me double check got my page numbers and i forgot the title it's the lover the mm-hmm. end of the lover the woman on the creative writing yep. retreat fascinating one because she has this you know little kind of tryst little romance with this man at this writing retreat and and on 37 their descriptions like her body felt on fire her heart jumped in her breast her pulse raced she was aware for the first time in years of actually needing to make love and then his perspective he began to think he must fight her off at least a little bit she was too intense he said he did not have time for intense relationships that's why he had finally accepted a divorce from his wife he was also writing a great poem which he had begun in 1950 and which he 
hope to finish, which is such a funny little line. She laughed at him, but would not tell him why. Instead, she tried very gently, while sitting on his lap with her bosom eternally opposite his face, to tell him he misunderstood, that she wanted nothing from him beyond the sensation of being in love itself. His stare was at first blank, then cynical at this. And then she goes on to describe her work. So that story ends with her just abandoning him, having gotten what she declared she wanted, and then moving on. I guess we're not really left to assume how he would respond to it or react to it, though. You know, he seemed hesitant there, so maybe he thought it was for uh-huh. the best, too. But then it, it also ends with this confusing image of her kind of being with her husband, but maybe not being back with him, just sort of, like, enjoying his presence, maybe not. And I just... So it's like, okay, she communicated with him really clearly what she wanted, but then is her relationship with her husband a sham? How does she communicate with him? Is Is it clear that they just have kind of an open friendship that they then she can have passionate dalliances and kind of that's how they're living their life it's not it's just not really clear i guess uh-huh. and so i enjoyed that moment because she she again so clearly articulates what she needs from him but then again kind of abandons him I, maybe she told him or maybe it was she felt it was implied or something who knows the story doesn't give that much detail i'm certainly reading into it a bit and so I don't know. I, I like what theme or what message do I take about communication there that it that it should just be selfish essentially that it's when you're able to express something and your desires fulfilled that's all. It doesn't it, it's sort of but that's very one way I guess is what I'm getting at. It feels like she's definitely advocating you have to communicate with yourself. But that maybe communicating with others is sort of like a, a courtesy or something or it's like at best to something to strive for but never never fully achieve it. Um Think back to, and I'm, this one I don't have the pages for, but think back to the story in the abortion. You know, the husband kind of uses that euphemism of, you know, take care of yourself. She interprets that to mean go get that abortion and get it over with and, like, don't bother right. me with this. But we don't ever see her bringing it up. It, the closest, when she comes back, she's traumatized from it, understandably. And she tells him directly at that point, like, you need to get a vasectomy. I'm not doing this again. And at that point, he does respond kindly in almost kind of a talking down way and says something to the effect of, we'll talk about it later or sort of like, eh. He doesn't say, like, yes, of course, we'll do what's best for you and me. Like, he just says, like, eh, he kind of shrugs. (laughs) And so... I, you know, that's another moment of where she's being pretty honest, like beforehand, maybe she wasn't, maybe she didn't express, but then she does come out and and say what she believed or what she wanted. And so I think, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's messy. I I do think she has a pretty clear view of being honest with yourself and, and being able to kind of grapple and communicate internally. I don't know how she comes down in this collection on making that external though, which I don't know. Maybe I'm. This is probably just pedantic, but maybe that you know. Maybe before I wasn't even defining communication properly. Right? It has to be to others. And I think there are really frustrating moments in this one where there are characters who do not communicate well with their partners, and you know that can even that leads to conflict and and strife. You know, I think uh-huh. in the abortion there was a clear moment of that. I think too on page one ten I pulled like one a couple more examples on this topic here. Let me flip to one ten. This is where. Wait, what is this one? See, I'm, pull, I'm pulling all kinds of things. It's especially messy in these short story collections. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Laurel. Okay. Final one I'll d- discuss, and then I'll kind of wrap up. In the Laurel story, 
they're having their kind of quiet romance. They're sneaking their kisses and cuddles and everything. And they're, you know, they're really desperate for each other. Then of course he's radically honest. And when they're together and there, there's this description of them like dancing, it's really intimate. Um, it says our bodies easily found their own rhythms anyway. And our touching alone was our reason for being on the floor there. We could make a sort of love in a dark, hot corner. And that was not exactly grace, but was not, and definitely not acrobatics. And then he peered at me through the gray and blue frame glasses. I've got a wife back home, he says to her. And then all she could think was, she's not my wife. And then later, there's an aside in parentheses. To be fair, I was engaged to a young man in the Peace Corps. I didn't mind if it was sex, but since the time our mutual lust had reached a state almost of mysticism, Laurel, however, was tormented. So he has a really negative reaction of being like, well, we can't be together. I'm married. This is a tragedy. She goes along with it and kind of mimics his emotional state and makes it so, you know, maybe to comfort him. I think she says it where... Um, I cried because he did and because in some odd way it relieved my lust. Besides, I enjoyed watching myself pretend to suffer, which is such a roundabout kind of passive verb kind of statement. And that feels like a pretty dishonest moment of communication, which she says later is the whole reason that he became obsessed, the whole reason he becomes attached. And like it was because of her pretending or maybe obfuscating or something that this this goes down a road it didn't need to go down. Right. Right. That she played into his emotional state if she would have told him clearly then oh okay well we can just end this i have no feelings over this it was great but okay things would have changed so i do feel i don't know i do feel conflicted on the whole i'll try and somehow coalesce all this together now which seems impossible but essentially i i do think there's a good bit in this about communication being kind of one-sided or one-directional. Now, I think in some of the stories it works out for the better and some it doesn't, which is, I guess, where I, I leave this feeling kind of conflicted. It's probably I don't have a clear thought on, you know, what this motif could mean or what it would mean. I do have this to say, though, and, and maybe this is where you could jump in, because I think there is one clear takeaway among all the muddled things I said, and I didn't give any quotes about this, but it's pretty clear that she thinks the most valid way of expressing your ideas is to quote academic and social theories and like do research, try and understand history, try and understand, you know, sociology, cultural studies, and like talk to people about that, present people with ideas and have them like, does that ever go poorly in the stories? Like when the characters hash these things out loud and sort of they're referencing the work they admire, they're talking through these things. It does seem like, I mean, maybe that's a simplistic reading, but when the communication was sort of like clearest, that seemed to have been the route. I'm not sure if you feel like every time that happened in these short stories, it felt like that there was almost a positive outcome. If that yeah, makes 100%. Sense. I think that when when you go into the stories and you look at uh, the interactions that dealt with philosophy, um thought processes and stuff like that. Yes, that was the clearest. And that's when the breakthroughs would happen, especially with like, I'm thinking specifically with like um, porn and with coming apart. Um, And then the the places where the communication falls apart, even as an attempt at communication would be anytime that there was an emotional aspect to that um, discussion. As soon as there was emotion introduced, like things just started to fall apart. And um, to your point, too, about yeah, all yeah. the um, the ways that the characters, the, the male-female characters seem to only communicate via, like, sex and, and physical touch and stuff. I found that I hadn't thought about that before, but it's true. And I think that 
it, when she depicts conversations between women, they tend to be more more of that philosophical, more of the the revelatory type conversations. Um, right, with the right. the male conversations, when she did have male conversations, it was either like maternal, like I'm thinking 1955, or it was where it was like she the protagonist had to kind of be a teacher in some way um so i thought that was pretty interesting too it's like you either with men you you either just like have sex and don't talk or if you want to talk then you have to act like a mother or a teacher to them yeah that's a good a harsh but decent summary i think of what i was trying to unpack though i think that's pretty yeah pretty well said and I, I'm not sure what to take away from that. If if this were a real, yeah, if this were really essay deadline time, I'd really have to <laughs> whip something up. But I don't think I, I don't think on the pod we need to. We can kind yeah. of leave things hanging, and that's I think a good way of putting it too. But there's there was a lot to unpack in it too. I was intimidated by this one. But <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> those were the stories definitely that stood out. So I, uh, no, 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 those make for the best prompts. I think that's great. I those were the stories that stood out. So I like the one in the source. You know th- that concludes as I mentioned with a long conversation. But I don't think that. That actually taught me much about what she thinks of conversation except or communication except hey if you both can reference academic stuff together that's yeah. very powerful <laughs> which is like okay that seems to be as an author like that is a literary thing she relies on is kind of like really dense illusions that are almost just quotes then you can kind of use that to unpack things which I'm not in disagreement in re- in real life. Again, I've expressed my ideas about what I like in my fiction, but in real life, I think that, that having a shared text, I mean, what is this whole project anyway? But like, <laughs> except for that, you have a shared text, you can grapple with it, you talk about it, you try and unpack things from it. And you kind of move on with mutual understanding, and at least at least you have a gra- you have a grounds, right? That's always what you want. You want a grounds where you can then grapple with stuff. You want to be on the same playing field or whatever. Mm-hmm. You want to be in the same stadium. So it's <laughs> how you can play. So anyway, any other thoughts on communication that I that you had that I didn't bring up? No, I I also was baffled by my own question. It was like trying to think of stuff. So I, I liked. I mm-hmm. liked your explanation, and, and I think that it also helped me to understand my own perceptions of, of the way communication was presented. For sure. Yeah. The big thing for me would, that would be to go over and think over again would be the physical stuff, because my immediate response was like, man, people in this story really use sex to communicate things with each other or even just like touch relationships whatever Mm -hmm. so that would have been my if i could have gone on longer but there's there's a lot more to it than that but that did stand out for sure yeah all right let's move then to the final two segments of the book club part two episode we will begin part the second half of this anyway begin we begin 15 minutes ago um (laughs) we'll begin this part now the lost pages this is a brief segment we always like to do before we wrap up the book this is just when we express some kind of topic idea theme it could be a character a chapter in this case a story that we just wanted more of something that we felt like was lost that's like ah give me more we want to find more of that amanda why don't you take yours away what are your lost pages for this book um i would have liked to have seen laurel uh kind of expanded a little bit because I think that the relationship between Laurel and the main character, Annie were like, it was uh, really interesting. But then the ending for me, I was like, I feel like there's, there's more that could have been developed there or, or something. I like, I feel like I just didn't completely get like what the ending was meant to be because, um, 
it's a discussion. It ends with a discussion between Annie and her ex-husband, like, like years later. And, um, she, like the last two mm-hmm. lines are, tell me it's all right that I didn't go. I wanted to plead, but didn't. And then instead she like changes the subject. And I was like, okay, so there, obviously that's a very important aspect, right. but, but why, what, what is that there? Is it, is it just supposed to be a story of like guilt? Like, and why is she wanting that confirmation from her ex-husband and, so like that whole exchange at the end, I was just kind of like, this is something that I need to like really think over. And I still am not sure <laughs> that I completely understand the purpose there. So, yeah. Yeah. It does throw out almost like a new, almost like a brand new internal conflict, which is the, you know, would she have kind of lustfully or almost naively as a young person followed him around even when he was in need. And like, he was, I think at that point, like, comatose or something right. like that and so it's just or i guess at that point he wasn't comatose right because he visited them but he was definitely changed and had undergone some kind of like mental surgeries or something anyway so it's kind of yeah it introduces almost a new i i think the again it started off with such a clear premise which is this young forbidden love this this racist system that keeps them apart their lives move on but he still has feelings like that whole dynamic even the accident added in, I thought, maybe a touch of an unnecessary complication. I, yeah, and thematically could make it confusing almost. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, to have it go even further, I don't know. You're right. It felt like it could have wrapped up earlier and had maybe a clearer, more coherent feeling. Right. But, yeah, I'd, I'd agree on that one for sure. Yeah. Mine is – I thought I thought this was probably the most challenging Lost Pages so far. It was a, quite a coherent collection, and I thought well-realized and everything. Um, I did think of one, though, as we were kind of in our discussions, and it's on a story I didn't get to unpack that much, so maybe I can do it now. I think Source should have just never gone to Alaska and used all of that word and page count for being in San Francisco in the 60s, dealing with kind of like this fading out hippie movement where people are, are understanding other ways to live, but then that, that creates conflict among old friendships. And I just thought that was such a rich setting and such an interesting start. But he, and even when Source showed up, I was, again, there was such an eeriness to it, such a, he's such a kind of like, what's the Wizard of Oz reference? Like a wizard behind a screen or whatever. It just mm-hmm. felt like she was going to, you know like really attack this phony (laughs) and like really unpack this lifestyle then that moment just like they have a brief argument but then it's just like oh but we're gonna move the story 40 years later enough for you know what i mean and so it just didn't and then all of a sudden it was kind of this message about their racial component with the natives in alaska and it just that felt like two different stories to me like very discordant I just wanted the version of Source where it's all in that San Francisco weekend. I wanted her to interact way more with the people named Sanskrit, Bliss, and Peace, or whatever the hell those names were or something. Yeah. Which, please include the Sanskrit. That's what I wanted to see. (laughs) Um, Let's put that in the Lost Pages. But I just think that story had the hottest start for me. And then by the end, I was just like, oh, so this is just going to be another kind of didactic conversation that is maybe a bit a bit contrived for a story ending okay mm-hmm. it wasn't bad but i just the beginning had such dynamic conflict i enjoyed that story a lot the yeah, way that it was yeah. written yeah i i i can see how definitely the san francisco stuff um in her search for her identity the the to to develop that scene more i think would have been really interesting but i think that ultimately it would have detracted from her overall purpose um, but I can definitely see the draw yeah. for that. I don't, yeah. I mean, it did, 
The fact that the college background stuff was saved for the ending instead of included in the San Francisco part, that was another part I just felt like structurally just did not really make. It felt like backtracking or sort of like almost like, oops, I forgot to say that earlier. Now I got to say it or something about the structure of that just felt off to me. It felt like it was, why are we doing this now? Kind of like this is such a strange aside. You could have worked that into their earlier dynamic and then I would have known way more about their like perceptions of each other, all that stuff. Anyway, because I really just thought it was about like, it almost felt the first half was about not only racial identity, of course, but about like that. I I really thought it was going to go in the cult direction and sort of look at the dynamics of how that hippie generation, yes, lived a certain way that was maybe beautiful and had they had some revelations, but then also there were predators and how there were predatory, they call it fascist aspects to some of that. And I just was like, oh man, let's get into that. And then it just, it didn't. It was like, this is a different thing now. This is, we're jumping to Alaska. Anyway, so that would be my Lost Pages too, which I just thought of. So I'm, I'm content with that one though. I, f- I feel strongly about that now that we talked it out. Okay. Any other Lost Pages for you? Nope, that's it for me. Excellent. Let's move to the final segment then of the book club. That is going to be the critical assistance. This is when we reach outside of ourselves and go to some online experts for book criticism, literary criticism of this work. Uh, We look for book reviews online, you know, browse some websites, see what we can find. I'll have you start us off this week, Amanda. Where did you pull your kind of outside assistance from, critical assistance from, and what do you want to talk about? I pulled it from Kirkus Reviews again. Ah, your old pals. Old pal, Kirkus. Um, it's just it's harder because this is an older work to find um, some of the yeah, reviews. I'd go but, to a blog. Um, this is a large, yeah. <laughs> this is a largely negative review. Um, so I pulled it so that yes, because I thought that was interesting that it was so negative. Um, a thin, often didactic, largely disappointing collection of stories from an enormously gifted author of short fiction and novels whose storytelling powers seem wasted on the generally simple-minded material here. The, bu- the book's first story jumps right off with a dazzlingly convincing narrative voice, but interest soon sinks as the story's bland premise becomes clear. Likewise, a vignette Hmm. of an elderly black, much fetid writer, which is deliciously told, but holds only the most obvious ironies. And most of the more intensely serious stories here appear to sacrifice texture of character and incident to sociological debate and discussion. So I thought that this was like overly harsh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like way overly harsh. Although the the writer does point out that, yes, it is beautifully told and, and, 100% 100% agree, of course. Alice Walker is an amazing writer. Um, yeah. And and I know that you had mentioned before um, how some of the stories come off as didactic, especially the story source. But to say that this mm-hmm. the story's premise is bland um, and that it was just obvious ironies in some of the writing, I was like, I don't think that I agree with that. I, I don't think I didn't find any of the premises bland. And to say that um, she sacrificed texture of character and incident, as I don't think that she did. Because some of the things that I most enjoyed were, were the the insights into character and the character relationships for me. Yeah. So I don't agree with a lot of what was said there (laughs) i think yeah i mean i don't know i I agree with a good chunk of it i think yeah tonally or maybe on the whole 
I, you know, I think in terms of like a percentage here on the whole, I don't think I would go the percentage of criticism this leverages, but I like that final sentence. I do think some of the characters, you can't drop in multiple pages of quotes from sociological theory books and then say, you're not sacrificing for something like a short story doesn't have infinite words. You, you gave up something to get something, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so I just, I, yeah, I, I'm not ever going to remember the characters from those stories. Now the incidents, now, that criticism, right, was just about the 1955, I think? Or was that just for all of them? No, most of the more intensely serious stories. Gotcha, okay. That, I don't... I think she did find, like I said, the whole thing with the short story, right, is, like, find a super imp- impressive snapshot and, like, really just dig into something hyper-specific. I think these books do that well enough. Or books, these stories do that really well. I wouldn't agree with that on the whole, no. I thought that was about 1955, which, you know, it does snap with the narrative voice. I don't think she ever actually achieved the heights of that first character's voice. Remember in the first one I talked about how it's like, wow, we haven't seen a lot of, kind of, like, dialect or, like, local speech or those kinds of patterns before, and yeah. she's like, oh, she really did that well i don't think she ever even attempted it yeah. really again maybe in the killing story with the lawyer um but no i i would disagree with that then yes for sure i do think i do think it is often didactic i'm not really sure what to say i just don't think you can include that much direct referencing and have characters do those prolonged discussions and then not have it feel didactic now again though on the whole I would say I don't like that on the whole, but it's it was enough that if I had to write a paid review of this book, I would say something like that. Yes, I, I would have. Maybe again, not as assertively or aggressively, though. Cool. Any other quotes or yeah discussions in that one? Yeah. Um, the writer went on to say, when concentrating on love and marriage, however, Walker seems to ease off a bit and does some genuine exploring, and he goes on to or he or she goes on to uh, specifically mention the lover Laurel and the abortion. Um, so that was Hmm, a positive, but then the writer goes on to say Mm -hmm. ragged, often superficial work then with more sociological interest, the black feminist intersection than literary. So, Hmm. yeah. Um, so yeah. And we had talked about how, um, when it comes to those, the, the love and marriage, like the, those interpersonal relationships, she does a great job with, um, exploring that, um, but the the yeah. final line there, the the superficial work, and it's not literary. Yeah. I just don't agree. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I would say too. Again, too harsh. I think it. I think it is often, not always, or even most often, concerned with sociological debate. I, that's like. I demonstrably true, but yeah, I think some of the, even the porn story here is a great example, right? There were passages in that when she is quoting, I think at length again, from some kind of social theories or sort of working through quotes, you know, that kind of thing anyway. And, but like the relationship with stuff was so well done that I don't know, you know, it's hard to do. I don't want to do the editing imaginary thing of like, what could this have been or something? Um, I think that becomes annoying and I, I do that too often probably, but <laughs> I do think I, part of this criticism sits well with me or I kind of like nodded it, but yeah, I think ragged, I don't know. I mean, it's a touch uneven. I guess you could argue that, but I don't think ragged or superficial work for me. No, yeah. I, I think the other parts of it though, pointing out those criticisms feels valid to me, but yeah descriptions are a bit harsh yeah any other thoughts on that review or quotes to talk through nope that was it for me and my interest i'll say this about the first quote again it says the um interest soon sinks as the story's bland premise or whatever like i don't think my interest ever sank in any of these yeah i don't i don't really think 
It's got enough momentum. She's got such a, a clear voice and establishes things pretty well that I don't think I flagged during any of these. Yeah. Not that I remember. Yeah, I... I so, I think my attention was held. My interest was maintained throughout, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I'd be in agreement on that one for sure. Okay. I pulled a book. I guess I'll, I'll just call this a book review. It's from a, a website called AfricanBookAddict.com. This is from 2015, and it's a review by Darkoa, hopefully pronouncing that right, or Darkawa. And it's, again, from the, I, I guess I'll call it a blog. I mean, it's a website, so you, you listeners can go find it after this. But it's a review of the short story collection. A couple quotes to discuss that I pulled. And, yeah, that we don't always pull from informal sources or blogs or whatever. We kind of change it up. But I, yeah, I also couldn't find, we have our normal stable of, like, New York Times, New Yorker, whatever, reliable, like, big publication literary stuff. And I couldn't find anything from that, so... This is what I found, and I thought there were some memorable lines in this one, so at any rate. First quote to talk about. All the women in these stories have some odds going against them, but find different ways of dealing with the prejudices. Even though these stories tug at your emotions, Walker ensures there are positive, humorous bits to all the stories, allowing readers to see the light in the situations of of each character in the stories. How did the humor hit you? I definitely won't remember this for these for their humor. I... I don't know. I I mean, I get that people, when they read, um, this is a big generalization saying people, but I get that nothing grim, dark alone is really compelling. It's good to have these balance of emotions. I, there were definitely some stories here, though, that I felt had no humor attempted or sort of lightness. Agreed. I, I think that largely I would say the characters are usually pretty serious, and I, I can't off the top of my head think of something that made me laugh out loud or anything. 1955, just the absurdity of fake Elvis de- so desperately trying and so badly mangling it, and then kind of like her cool, calm, collected, you know, she has all those reflections about her weight, but she in the end is just kind of like, ah, fuck it, I am who I am, I'm happy, you know, like, I think their contrast really did make me uh, smile, I guess, like, I think there was humor in that one, and then I was really trying to think of maybe some of the source could be considered a little bit of satire of kind of those hippie cult people. Like when the woman meets him and meets the source, she's so blatantly criticizing him. But then again, like he also has seemingly like cultish sex slaves and has impregnated one of them probably. Like it's not, uh, there's humor in mocking him, but also it's like a pretty severe scene and a pretty, I don't know. There's like some really horrific things implied. So I really couldn't come up with where I thought the humor, like the abortion story, I guess the porn story had a little humor, but like the effect it has on them is so devastating. And the, and again, to go from the raptures of like their ecstasy to then that sad little point of view ending where it switches to him, it was just kind of like, Ugh. you know, I don't, was any of the Laurel st- story funny? Like, what am I missing? What am I forgetting? Yeah, that, I don't know because I... I can't think of. Yeah. I, I can I can point out like ironies and stuff like that, but but as far as like just not uh, humor that's not related to irony, I can't I can't yeah. really think of one. The killing story example, I so. thought was was enjoyable in in terms of like its triumph for the conflict and everything, but again, I don't know if it was written to be uproarious. She is raped in that story, so it's just kind of like I. I cheered in that yeah. story, but in the, at the conclusion, but I don't, I don't remember thinking it was funny. So anyway, something to, to ponder. Um, another quote. I also enjoyed Walker's writing style in this collection. The sentence structures and style of writing leave room for various interpretations of her stories. When I reread this, I will surely learn more things that I didn't than I didn't grasp uh, from the first reading. 
not much of an exactly analytical, sharp insight into the style there, but at least, you know, like leaving the open for interpretation, I could see myself reacting differently to these stories, you know, encountering them later, I think. There's enough depth. I think that's, I would hope that that is a criticism that can be held up to any good short story, frankly. That's that's the hope, anyway, our fingers crossed. Yeah. I don't know if, and this is where I get nitpicky with some of the academic sociological like implementation i don't know if those could be misinterpreted can you really misinterpret when somebody drops an explicit social theory in the middle of your story and then the character says you should understand this (laughs) like what's there to misunderstand i don't think so (laughs) yeah Yeah. so that i'm like "Eh, okay that's a good point (laughs) there are definitely some stories that i think you could come away years later um the source is one i would give credit to because even though it does a bit of that at the end of the conversation there's still enough back and forth for you to maybe dig into some of that and so i i can't say that i i wouldn't recommend this short story collection on the quality of ambiguity or sort of like moral gray areas or something but i found that criticism pretty fair like oh yeah this are you know there's a lot going on in these you could you could walk away from it with a couple things so i i mostly agreed cool yeah we got to get to these final two quotes i know we're running well these usually go a little long so that's okay but these two quotes I, my eyelids like ripped off of my head when I saw these, my eyes popped out of my skull. Okay. So then at the end of the review, this author does um, talk about some of the short stories in particular. So here we go. Um, This is a quote about how, how did I get away with killing one of the biggest lawyers? She says, or he or she says, I didn't check the gender um, just to be clear. This was a sad and crazy story from beginning to end. Some women are crazy and dangerous. Loved it. What? (laughs) What? what some women Did are she, crazy th- this must be the <laughs> this must be the interpretation that's you know the, the because it stylistically was not clear <laughs> that no no it's a hundred percent clear this story that she is not crazy yeah she was groomed <laughs> so, and raped and was like abused when exactly. she was like 13 or something and then she finally gets her deserved like mur- murder revenge in his office i we read this story very differently yeah like some what? women are crazy and dangerous <laughs> i was like holy fuck man I, what <laughs> what i mean that's like almost offensive <laughs> i don't even i mean i'm gonna leave the i'll leave the language um patrolling up to other people to decide on the terms or what have you but like that's that's like almost an offensive description of the story oh my gosh well i mean that would be like reading the yellow wallpaper and being like some women are crazy and dangerous (laughs) (laughs) it's like whoa 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 yeah well she does say though that the structures and style of writing leave room for various interpretations and that is a different interpretation of that story. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. But she did say, or he or she uh, did say loved it at the end. Yeah. So, you know, I, they were probably cheering on as, as she um, got away with murder, uh, deserved pretty much murder. And so anyway, um, th- that <laughs> one stood out. And then this one too, the abor- this was on the abortion. <laughs> Yeah, this is on the abortion. I just felt sick to my stomach reading this story. There weren't many gory descriptions, but it was just miserable. I think I resented the main character. She was a selfish woman and expected her husband to make her happy when happiness is really from within. Uh, Your thoughts, Amanda? Uh, Completely missing the point of that entire story. Um, (laughs) What? An interesting read. <laughs> An interesting read. Uh, w- what would you grade it uh, when your student hands you that in AP literature class or whatever? I would be like, reread that story and <laughs> just think about 
Yeah. Thematically, what is this character actually going through? Like, what? I don't. I don't. How do you not? <laughs> how do you not? It really does. Story? It really does abandon the kind of euphemistic conversation, shallow euphemistic conversations they have. The his detachment in his political campaign and focus on career like that doesn't that doesn't really grapple with that in any way. And so that part left me wondering, like, wait, did she what does she think about that stuff, I guess? And so also the fact that an abortion is a is a two person that's that's a two person endeavor just kind of by definition, (laughs) I guess, artificial insemination. But uh, that would be anyway, I won't get into that. I'm sure there's stories out there of like somebody who gets that and then has an abortion. I'm I'm not going to discount that possibility. But anyway, it's like he, you know, he's an actor in this uh, has a has a part and it should have some kind of emotional investment. Doesn't seem to have any, you know, or, or sort of very little. I, I do think I will say this about that again. That that's all the criticism that this author um, or reader offered in that. So I can't. I'm I'm just going to freestyle from here. But I do think, as you mentioned earlier in the discussion, some of the men are just not given page time in here, and that's fine, justifiably so. But I could see somebody who wants sort of. I don't know, more back and forth, more like open conversation. These characters just aren't having that all the time. They, they live these interior lives. They kind of suffer in these interior ways sometimes. Cause it's not like, I mean, she does come out and say the thing about the vasectomy and he does dismiss her kind of in a, you know, maybe open, maybe not way. But again, though, I'm not sure how you read that interaction and then go, well, just be happier. You know, why is she so unhappy? Like you can make yourself happier, have your happiness come from within. I just, I'm like, well, I, <laughs> my brain, like, and to know this was written in 2015, I I just kind of like shuddered when I read that line. I was like, "Oh shit, okay." <laughs> Somebody read this story that way. That was like, "Okay." It was written in twenty fifteen. Yeah, it's a twenty fifteen review. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It was fascinating. <laughs> I know. I know. So I the the way that the conversations played out, the way a lot of these um, men and women, these uh, hetero kind of normative relationships in the stories played out, I could see somebody who wants something I don't the the author or the sorry author the reviewer also gave it five stars though full recommendation they really enjoyed it and they they did and a part I didn't quote comment on kind of the heaviness and seriousness of a lot of the stories fair enough all that but yeah those two just jumped out to me so much because I saw those two descriptions and just thought like whoa we had we had very different readings about the emotional realities and kind of the literary kind of constructions of those stories. Like that's, that is a really strange like thing to say compared to how I reacted. Uh, women are crazy and dangerous, Amanda. Just watch out. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is, I feel like I'm just being mean now, which is never our intention. Hopefully our discussion of this was, we, we conveyed real ideas and we're doing it in good faith and everything. But this is why we hesitate. Cause I've put, we've pulled a couple from blogs and stuff in the past. Uh, we just need to stick to the professional spheres, I think. Cause I don't want to, I don't ever want to come across <laughs> as mean. I just thought that this, this one had some interpretations, like definitely worth discussing. I, I'm thinking of yeah. it almost like, you know, we used to do a book club together in, in real life, pre COVID and all that. And so if somebody said this, like during a book club, I'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> you, you, wait, what now? What happened in the reading? Um, so I was reacting to it kind of that way, like imagining them in the circle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> any other thoughts on happiness coming from within or women being crazy and dangerous? Uh, no, no. 
Okay, <laughs> uh, definitely odd words to end on. Not what Alice Walker intended, I don't think. <laughs> but we will uh, we'll wrap our, our discussion of Alice Walker's You Can't Keep a Good Woman Down uh, with those parting words. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. We appreciate you joining us for this book club episode. We do have other books chosen and coming up. We are already prepping and reading for those. The next three books we have coming up in order are My Favorite Thing is Monsters by M.L. Ferris, The Dark Tower, The Gunslinger by Stephen King. That's the first book in a series, by the way. So first book. Um, and then Field Notes from a Catastrophe, Man, Nature, and Climate Change by Elizabeth Colbert, or Colbert, maybe? I'm not sure. Any other thoughts on today's readings, Amanda, before we close out the episode? Um, I'm still reeling from your blogger. Um, <laughs> just that it was Wait, a great, it was yeah. a great short story collection. I loved it. Very solid. Very yes, I very much enjoyed it too, and it was great to come off of something I didn't respond as well to. So yes, I I did enjoy this roundly very much. And let's let's conclude then by before the before we get to the catchphrases and slogans, let's say women aren't uh, crazy. And happiness can come from sex or from within or anywhere, really. It depends. It depends on the person. We'll try and round out that discussion. (laughs) Anyway, as always, we we do appreciate you for listening. Follow us on social media platforms, all that plug, plug stuff again. We appreciate it. And as always, we'll see you between the pages. 